Hello and welcome to the podcast. These talks are hosted by Rob Bowl, founder of Evoke Management and the CEO of International Leaders UK. He'll be talking with various members of both these teams about issues that affect SME companies today. Today I'm here with uh, one of the Evoke Management part-time directors, Nick Thompson. Um, so Nick is uh, one of the team he works with a portfolio of SME companies helping them with their business growth and business journey Um, and what we're going to talk about today hopefully Nick uh, welcome by the way uh, we're going to be talking about your time as managing director of Whole City Football Club now I'm not a particular football fan or I don't really follow football which um, might shock some people and what I'm really interested in is to find out a bit more about your experience to to take on that role and any particular business learnings from it, which might be uh, interesting and useful for, for anyone that happens to listen to this. So, so Nick, welcome. And uh, yeah, please, please tell us how, how you came to be the MD of Hull City. Okay. Well, actually it's interesting. You say that you're not interested in football. I'm, I've been a football fan all my life, but when I went to Hull City, I really didn't know anything about running a football club and how I got to the role was I was part of um, Kingston Communications or KCOM Group and I looked after their local business unit and I suggested the introduction of executive sponsorship. So larger clients getting somebody on the executive team to sponsor their account. And because it was my idea, I picked the kind of the clients that I fancied. And it just so happened that one of the clients I was looking after um, ended up running Hull City Football Club. And so we had a relationship that we kind of built and worked at. And, and eventually in the in the 12-13 season, um, it led me to being asked if I'd like to go and run the club, which as a fan, I kind of took about three milliseconds uh, to say <laughs> yes, which is not a good negotiating position. Um, how, how long have you been a fan of Hull then? Well, so I've been a football fan all my life. Actually, I, be, I fell in love with Hull City on a rainy uh, Friday evening in October 2010. It was away at Preston. Uh, I was the, um, I represented KCOM, who were the stadium sponsors. It was a Friday night. It was like a three-day camel trek to drive to Preston. It rained all the way there. I got there about five minutes before the kickoff. Uh, the guy in the kind of, in the boardroom bar called me mate, which I particularly didn't like. Um, and we got battered for 85 minutes of the game and we ended up winning 2-0. And it was as we were kind of applauding the away fans at the end of the game, I just thought, this is my team. This is the team I love. And, you know, it's like, it wasn't a matter of that I chose to go out and support Alpha City. I was engaged with them, but I just kind of decided that was my team that night. Oh, great. So then, so that's perfect. And then you become the MD. So yes. what was that like? Well, so it was, it felt like a learning right angle at the time <laughs> because, you know, I went into a situation which I was comfortable on the commercial side. I understood the commercial side, particularly as having been the stadium sponsor. I understood how the commercial team worked and I could see where there are areas where you could improve their performance, improve their kind of business thinking. But you know, on the day-to-day operations and particularly on the elite performance side with the football team, then it was it was an entirely different task. But I was going to be working with or got to work with a, an extremely experienced football manager, Steve Bruce. Um, and he'd been around for a long time. It wasn't his first rodeo. And so we got 
an opportunity to talk and share a lot of things. And so in the football side, it was about learning from Steve, but then on the, if you like, the back office, the sports science elements, it was about trying to bring some process and some rigor to, to the process. So for example, in terms of uh, scouting, yeah, you could have a, a report from a scout on a, on a post-it note, you could have a six page essay, but, this, but the analysts had no kind of common denominators to evaluate the forms on. So how could we create a template which gave us a kind of apples and apples comparison. So, you know, invest time with the analysts, sit down, identify the attributes for every single position and write them down. So the scouts then had a form. So if you're looking at a right back, what are the 10 most important attributes you need to look in a right back? How does this player measure up on those elements? Small bit of kind of space for some freehand comments and such at the end. But suddenly you were giving the analysts a set of comparable um, reports. So therefore, you know, the process was, if you liked a player, you had three scouts reports. But if all three reports then measured up, you could then move it up the chain and process it. You know, with the, with the medical side of all the sports science thing is, how do you kind of bring in almost like kind of test equipment that can help measure the performance? You know, so if you had soft tissue injuries, how can we look at reducing the recovery time for soft tissue injuries. Better still, how can we look at equipment that maybe helps us spot the potential for injury before it happens? Mm -hmm. You know, so talking with developers, we got into um, we got into a relationship with a company called Smart Gate, which, if my memory serves me correct, reduced our soft injuries by about thirty percent, simply because we were tracking how the players moved when they are in good shape. And if there was any deviation from that, we could then start to look and treat in advance of the soft injury happening. So it was a case of listening, bringing some kind of discipline and some form of structure uh, where it was applicable, but then kind of making that work for the benefit of the team. Mm. No, great. Well, it, that's, it sounds like, as you say, a right angle turn in terms of trying to get your head around some of these aspects. But you would have thought the some of this stuff would have been in place already, given you know the the kind of whole the whole methodology of, of running a club and 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 going through this process you're describing about yeah you know, picking picking people for the team. I, I would have thought that's already in place, doesn't that? Well, you'd like to think that, wouldn't you? But no, it was yeah. It, I was amazed at um, uh, how little was in place. And in actual fact, I mean, as I, as I got into the role, I then started trying to learn from other sports. So trying to benchmark our situation. And, you know, football is, is not really at the forefront. You know, you obviously you look at the big clubs, the Manchester Uniteds and Cities, the Liverpools, and they had a lot. But, you know, in, in back in 2012, you had rugby union teams using cryogenic chambers to aid recovery times. Mm -hmm. um, they were pretty much unheard of in certainly in English football at that time. You know, they started to come in over the next two or three seasons. And so it was a great opportunity to benchmark those kind of levels against other sports mm -hmm. and just check that you were doing the best in class. Yeah, sure. No, that makes, makes, makes a lot of sense. So what, so what, what are the other kind of highlights for you in terms of the time you spent um, running Hull? What, what... So I, I you know, I think one of the great lessons that I learned, which is applicable in business, is that is, is working for the benefit of the team. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you make decisions, you do it to benefit the team. So, you know, if you've got a player who will not fit what is needed for that match, even though they're your star player, they have to sit out that game because you're actually looking at what will benefit the team. If you've got somebody who is a bad influence in the dressing room, you don't want them around because they're going to have a negative effect on the team. And, you know, when you take that into business and you think about how many times businesses accept poor performers, you know, don't, don't deal with them because they don't really want the confrontation. But actually what you're saying to everybody else on the team is, oh, that's okay. You can get away with that as well. Mm. Rather than, you know, look, we are, we are creating an elite performance environment here and we deal with these things because we want the team to be stronger and better. You know, where you have people whose whose performance has maybe gone off the boil, you, know, you deal with them because you want the team to be performing. And I think, yeah, you know, that was probably my biggest abiding memory from football is working for the benefit of the team and making sure that you can perform at the very top level, match in, match out, week in, week out. It's quite interesting as well because if you're comparing that to the approach in business, you're 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 getting everyone lined up to be their best for for a short amount of time. In reality, for for the time they're playing, you've you've Absolutely. got all the other time behind the scenes. In business, we don't generally do that, do we? Yeah, you know, we're, we're we're in theory having to perform the whole time because that's that's the nature of of what we do in our roles or the business does. So it's quite quite interesting how if you think about a comparison, how can you how can you mimic that? The, the the focus on you know the things that happen in the in the in the changing rooms or off the pitch that actually make you make those decisions to improve the performance on the pitch. Yeah, how do you how do you what's the analogy there between business? Well, and it, 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 very much so. But you know, if you look at a, a, a match as a kind of a business event, yeah, you've got open play, you've got set piece plays. So yeah, yeah, salespeople are working all the time but they actually come up to set piece plays when they need to make a presentation to a client or go in to win a new piece of business so it's how do you make sure that they're best prepared for that you know you think about football you know where you will practice or train corners over and over again you'll train free kicks over and over again how many times do we kind of train business people for the presentations yeah how many times do we go and say all right we could do this better or actually you know, how many times do we analyse that presentation and say, well, this bit worked, this bit didn't, we need to refine it. And so it's that, yes, you know, a football match is a 90-minute event and you may play two in the course of a week. Business is every day. But actually, in fact, business is made up of set-piece events where actually you can train, you can hone those mm-hmm. activities so you, you know... Um, exactly what you want to do i mean there was a great piece of learning that came from rugby union uh, which i drew on during that time clive woodward he had this teacup theory you know thinking correctly under pressure so you did something so many times that when it came to the real thing you didn't have to think about it you just did it you know and and yeah, that's what a lot of sports coaching is it's breaking actions down into small replicable parts well yeah how many times do we do that in our business delivery you know, we're starting to get to that point now where we're looking at customer journeys and breaking them down, identifying choke points. But that's just something you live with every day in a kind of elite performance environment. Yeah, sure. I actually, I've, I've read um, Clive's book, actually, and it's, it's thinking clearly under pressure, isn't it? Those teacup yes. moments, I think they're, um, there's a lot of learning in that. And I think we often in, in business don't often rehearse things as we could do in terms of different scenarios. And 
especially at the moment I mean, we've had so much change and so much um, uncertainty. I think anyone running a business has probably had many of these moments where thinking clearly under that pressure of what's in front of them is, is super important. And I think, you know, although we don't know, you know, how things might develop over the next week, the next month, when there's still uncertainty in the, in the business environment, we can go through various scenarios and ultimately, um, you know, thinking about different sectors, you know, there's only going to be a certain things that are going to happen. You might win more business. You might win less business. You might not be able to deliver what you expected. It, there's actually not that many scenarios that you can't rehearse or, or think about and then talk to your team about, okay, what if this happens? What do we do? If this happens, what do we do? And just have a have an approach and, and de-risk the fact that you've got this change. I think that's that's definitely quite an interesting concept to, to reiterate you know from the sport into the business world is those those teacup moments how do you actually continue to think clearly under pressure that, that a lot of people have been on under and will continue to be absolutely and you know still things like you know battle sheets for customer service people you know so understanding what are the strengths and weaknesses of competitors so you know how to handle them you know having where you're engaged in a contact center you, you know what you want to say. You have a, a flow chart of taking people through a process because when you've got somebody angry on the phone or on the Twitter, you know, your mind tends to go to a bit of a mush. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you've got it placed that right, you know, you're in this situation, these are the steps you take. It just helps you go through that process. So, yeah, yeah there's lots of little steps you can put in to guide you through that. I think mm -hmm. the other thing, you know, one of the other great lessons which came out of Clive's book was the concept of energy vampires. Mm -hmm. You know, people who yeah. just suck the energy out of a situation. And, you know, when you, when you take that and look in at situations in business, in sport, and you can suddenly see people who, on the face of it, look good, people but actually what they do is they just suck the energy out of everybody else and yeah that was a great learning to come out of that book yeah sure sure so um your time at whole then what what would have been your biggest challenging moments do you think in that environment what, what so i think uh, the biggest challenge was obviously in the first season to get promoted yeah. uh to the premier league and the biggest challenge or the most challenging moment in that period was actually on the final day of the season so um, forgive me as I go through the football analysis, but four games from the end, we were six points ahead of the club in third place, who were Watford, um, and we had four games to play. So it's like, you know, we had the whip hand. With, with, the, with our first game of that four-game sequence, we were away at Wolves, who were already relegated. Um, and, you know, one of the things with Steve was that he was a safety-first manager. So, you know, his mindset was if we go to Wolves and we don't concede, we'll get a point and it keeps us in a strong position. Whereas my view was, Steve, they're relegated. Let's go ahead and stuff them. Um, <laughs> funnily enough, the manager's view won. And so we went to the game looking for a draw. We kept the game tight until about the 70th minute, halfway through the second half. They scored and suddenly it's like, ah, so we ended up the game with four, if not five attackers on the pitch, trying to get an equaliser. And, you know, the, another thing, you know, another great learning is footballers are great if you ask them to do a job, but there are far fewer of them who are able to adapt mid-game to a different yeah. job. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's very difficult to make the change. Anyway, it wasn't too bad because Watford lost that night as well. So it's like, oh, who cares? 
you know, we're still six points and there's only three games to go now. Yeah. Our next game, funnily enough, was home to Bristol City, already relegated. Friday night at the KCOM, we 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 got away with a nil-nil draw. Mm-hmm. On the Saturday, Watford won. So now we've got two games left, but the, the gap is only four points. It's wow. getting a little bit kind of tense at this stage. Yeah. So, but who cares? Because our next game, our penultimate game of the season, is away to Barnsley, already relegated. Uh, we went away to Barnsley, and you've probably heard the saying that they looked like they met in the car park. Well, our boys yeah. didn't look like they didn't even know each other. <laughs> Barnsley beat us 2 0, Watford won. So we went into the final game of the season, um, and we're one point ahead of Watford. Our final game is at home to Cardiff City, the champions. Uh, Watford's final game is at Leeds, who is Hull's... If you had a team to hate at Hull, it was Leeds United. It was a toss-up between Leeds United and Sheffield United, but, uh, you know, at home home to Leeds. And it was a... We had to get a better... The equal or better result than them. Yeah. And so that week the pressure that was in the camp, you know, and, and those three, that sequence of three results was all about the pressure, all about, you know, pressure being on people. They were trying to overthink things. They were trying too hard. Anyway, we spent that whole week trying to manage that pressure. And mm-hmm. so we got to the final game. We're home to Cardiff. Um, and we, we went in at nil-nil at half time. But the Watford game, uh, the Watford keeper had got injured during the warm-up. They had to bring on the substitute keeper. He'd been injured in a horrible incident about halfway through the first half. They had 15 or 16 minutes of injury time. So mm. they were just finishing the first half as we went out to the second half. Uh, Cardiff took the lead. Oh, it's all gone horribly wrong. We equalised. Oh, it's not so bad. We then went ahead. Um, and with literally the dying breath of the game, we were awarded a, a, a penalty against Cardiff. Uh, fans came onto the pitch which has a bearing later on. But we had a German striker who'd come on as substitute. We all know the story of Germans and penalties. Well, we were the exception that proved the rule. He missed the penalty, went up the other end. He played the ball onto one of our defenders' hands. Cardiff got a penalty and the game finished two all. And the only reason we had time to go up the other end for the Cardiff penalty was because the fans had come on the pitch and the referee had added time on to allow them to get off. Right. So we're then watching the this kind of closing 15 or 16 minutes of the Watford-Leeds game. And, you know, what it looks like the Alamo. Watford are kind of bombarding the Leeds goal with everything. And suddenly, and I think it was about 10 minutes to go. I don't actually know the time because it all kind of got lost. But with about 10 minutes to go, Leeds managed to clear the ball out to the halfway line to Ross McCormack, who was a footballer that I've never particularly liked. Um, but at this precise moment, I learned to love him because yeah. the Watford reserve reserve keeper has kind of come halfway up the pitch to kind of, you know, egg his team on and to pick up any loose balls, play like the keeper sweeper model. Ross McCormack sees him off the line and lobs a glorious goal over his head. Nice. At that moment, pandemonium broke loose. We had Elmo, our El Mohammedi, our our Egyptian kind of wingback. He was auditioning for Strictly Come Dancing live on the TV. Everybody's going mad. There's fans everywhere. And it was just like a complete meltdown. And that evening, 
we had to do a player's testimonial dinner where I spent the whole night being hugged by middle-aged men. I've never been so happy in my life. (laughs) Um, And it was, it was literally two, 2 AM in the morning. I sat on my daughter, my daughter lived just around the corner from the stadium. And I sat on her decking with a big fat cigar, a Monte Cristo number four and a Coke (laughs) Zero thinking, well, we have just done something, you know, pretty incredible. It's the first time that Hull had ever been promoted automatically to the Premier League. We'd done it on a with a team that were amongst the favourites for relegation at the end of the season. But then, of course, we had to start building again for the next season because the objective was to stay in the Premier League. And we actually built a squad. We had the second lowest wage bill in the in the league. We got a squad that got to the FA Cup final and stayed up in 16th place in the league. So, yeah, that, it was that. It was the build-up to that week where you're going to all the pressure, all the expectation, just trying to get people to breathe and do what they did naturally. Wow, no, that's a that's a great story, Nick. And I, you must have been absolutely buzzing on the back of that. I can't imagine um, the, the feeling you guys would have must have had um, doing that for your for your favourite club as well. It's fantastic. And um, we, we're gonna we, we're actually gonna run out of time shortly because there's been a great great story. Time Sorry, well. what, the two other things I want to just touch on briefly, Nick. Um, owners and managing directors. We we often have this in businesses. Yes. Any, any particular insights from from dealing with with the owners of the club while you're running it that was of interest? So I think so. I think two very quick. One is you know that is the most important relationship there is. You have to have a relationship where there is trust in that relationship. And uh, you know, Doctor Alam at Hull, he afforded me an immense amount of trust, and that was a privilege which I took. And I tried to repay that privilege by making sure that he understood, if you like, the the impact of everything. So making sure that I business cased everything, and and had good communication with him Mm -hmm. and and laid things out in very easily understood terms because he was a man who didn't really understand football didn't want to understand football but he understood business and so it's like put things into terms that he understood sure so trust trust is one thing any anything else and i think the second thing is is like understand what you know what the owner wants to achieve so understand what is their their aims and their ambition yeah so when i started at the club you know as I said, we had a team that were amongst the favourites for relegation. I asked them, I want to get to the Premier League. So it's like, you know, when whenever we were having a debate about something, taking them back to that core objective, you want to get promotion. This is what we have to do to do promotion. And that, you know, just having that kind of, it was almost like a plan and a point of focus, a strategic objective, and make sure that everything fed back to that. It's quite interesting, actually, because I'm just thinking, aligning that with business objectives. Yeah, we always talk to business owners as a new client. You know, what what are you trying to get out of this? Not yes. necessarily just the business performance, but what do you want out of this in terms of, you know, profit, lifestyle, exit, succession? What is it you're after? And and I think we we often find the more time we spend on that, and the more time understanding why that's important, means everything else that we go and try and execute is aligned and works because we understand what that reasoning is. Um, so but there's some fantastic analogies there, I think, between sport and um, and business and, and a, a cracking story as well, Nick, and what you achieved. Um, we're going to just literally close out now. Any any very brief tip for anyone from your from your learnings of sport? What's your number one thing you'd say to any business owner? Uh, so it's, it's kind of, I'll do one A and one B. It's like, have a plan, 
execute it and focus. You know, the, the, it's so easy to get sucked off into other things, whereas, you know, it's focus on delivering that plan and achieving your objective. That's it okay. in a nutshell. If you've got a plan, you know, then you can execute on that plan. And if you look at the successful clubs, regardless of the league, it's the clubs with a plan that do well. Excellent. No, that's great. Great tip, Nick. Well, Nick, I've really enjoyed talking to you about this and the story. Pleasure. So thanks very much. And we'll, um, we'll catch up soon. Thanks. Brilliant. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about the topics discussed in this podcast, or would like to find out more about revoke management, then you can find us on our website at www.revokemanagement.com.